Okay. Oh, Spirit of God. Spirit of the living God. Lord, we just don't want, um, we don't want just a tiny piece of you. We want the power, the peace, the joy, the love that your divine Holy Spirit inspired book says is available to us. Father God, fall on us now. Teach us now, Lord. Lord, teach me as I teach, Lord. This is your word, God. It is sacred. It is powerful. It is holy and it is freedom. So come now, Lord Jesus, I pray. I pray you would anoint my words. Father God, give me your words. Give me your message. Touch your people. Father, as I was praying over this morning, I was just overwhelmed. Every person who walked through that door, every person who's on Zoom, you know the hairs on their head. You know why they showed up today. You know what they need. You know why they're here. You love them. You know everything about them. Father, touch them in the way only you can. We're here to get to know you better. We're here to learn your ways. We're here to walk in power and truth. Lord, we know you never disappoint. So God, we thank you for this time. May you be honored and glorified. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. So, control freak. <laughs> and I've already gotten a lot of comments about this. So, uh, a lot of people are already signing themselves up on this line here. So, you know, here's the thing about being a control freak. If Sometimes you know you are, sometimes you know you aren't. So, there's so many different... Listen, I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to keep the thing. But this is such... This is... Some people wear this with, with the badge of honor. Some people wear it with shame. Some people weigh, are weighed under the load of this. This is such a powerful topic. So I'm super excited to talk about this today. And I was doing a little bit of research. And an article in Psychology Today says, um, oh, goodness, I better get my glasses. can't read. Um, Many people who enter my therapy office, there we go, with depression, anxiety, and stress-related issues have one thing in common. They spend a lot of time focusing on things they cannot control. This is an article on being a control freak. They worry about what other people think, or they waste time trying to convince their partners to change. They're busy, but they don't feel effective. And that's because they're putting their energy into the wrong places. Rather than controlling their emotions, they're always trying to control the environment and the people in it. So, Psychology Today had a little quiz that we're going to do. All right, so here's the, okay. So here's the story, okay? So it's gonna be 10 questions. This is again by Psychology Today, and it's, it's you know, you're supposed to score yourself to help yourself figure out a little bit. It's not a comprehensive quiz, it's, it's just a little mini thing. But, you know, just to give yourself an idea. All right, first question. So. Here's the way you count it, number from one to 10, because the numbers actually matter afterwards. It's gonna tell you something about yourself. So you need to know what number, okay? So the first question is, do you, quote, help other people drive? You tell them what route to take, when to turn, where to park, remind them that a traffic light has changed. And you go, rarely one. So whatever number corresponds, put it on your thing. 
Okay, number two. Do you devote a lot of attention and energy to keeping your personal environment organized? Number three. Do you give people a lot of shoots and oughts? Unsolicited advice, suggestions, and constructive criticism. Number four. Do you have lots of personal rules, routines, rituals, and ceremonies? Number five. Are you the one who takes over and orders other people around when the situation seems confused? Number six, do you dislike depending on others, accepting help from them, or allowing them to do things for you? Seven, do you insist on being right, having things done your way, or having the final word? Okay, now we're on eight. Do you overplan simple activities? Nine. Do you find it difficult to admit making mistakes, being wrong, or misinformed about something, or acknowledging that you've changed your mind? And then 10 is, do you become angry, irritable, or anxious when someone or something makes you late, when things don't start on time, or things don't go according to plan? Okay, out of your score. 40 to 50, you got your control freak. All right, here you go, probably have some control issues. You can live and let live. 10 to 20, you're being, are you being honest? They don't believe you. They think you can lie. Okay, so here's the thing. The even number questions indicate personal control. The odd number ones indicate control over others. Just if you're curious, just a little psychology today. So if you're high on the even numbers, it means you're trying to control your own environment. If you're high on the odd numbers, you're trying to control other people, people around you. Okay. So maybe you now know, maybe you don't, maybe you're gonna see as we go along about your own uh, control issues. Um, and we're gonna talk about everybody. So even if you're not a control freak, I'm getting to you too. So everybody's gonna get got today. All right. So. There have been controlling people since the beginning of time. No uh, surprise there. But here are some examples, because with control comes manipulation. In order to control people, you have to manipulate them because they're not gonna always just do what you want. So you have to use all kinds of tactics, which we're gonna discuss today. You got Jacob and Esau. You've never seen more manipulation control between brothers, right? Uh, then it comes back to Jacob because Laban, his father-in-law, talking about manipulation control, it goes around, comes around. So you've got, that's between family and between employee and employer. Aaron, Aaron and Miriam, Moses's brother and sister. Here you have this extraordinary work of God, but behind the scenes, they're always trying to manipulate and control. Poor Moses, poor Moses. We're all reading through the Bible together. How bad do you feel for Moses? <laughs> like that poor man. Anyway, uh, we've got some really dysfunctional, People in the Bible, relationships uh, that you see a lot of manipulation and control. You want to talk about that? Think about Samson and Delilah. Delilah, just you say that name, all you think about is control and manipulation. Um, do you guys remember the story of Herod and Herodias? So Herodias was Herod's brother's wife, and John the Baptist, and so he marries his brother's wife and John the Baptist calls like the king of the world out on that thing. Can you imagine like the, 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 the guts that takes? You know, we talk a lot about having guts, took serious guts. He calls him out on it and Herodias is out for him. 
She's like, I want him dead. And Herod really kind of liked John the Baptist, it said, and also feared him. So he didn't want to mess with that. Herodias was determined. She has her beautiful young daughter dance for him in front of everybody. And at the end, he says in front of all the guests, the guests I'll give you anything up to half the kingdom. So she runs back to mommy because they tend to pair together, right? We teach our daughters well. Um, and she runs back to mama and mama, what should I do? Ask for John the Baptist's head on a silver platter. I can't imagine we could have half the kingdom and you want that's a screwed up thing in there. But and so John the Baptist's head comes out on a silver platter. I mean, manipulation, control um, can be deadly. There's a point to this. It was deadly for Samson. Deadly. Here you've got this other thing. But you know what? We also have examples in the scripture that are godly relationships. Uh, Abraham and Sarah. Right? Very godly. I mean, the father of faith. Yet there was a lot of manipulation, a lot of control in that relationship. We're going to talk about that more. Um, but there's a point I want to make, and that is, as you see through the scriptures of time, these control issues, these manipulation issues, they typically come from people we're close to. I mean, every example I gave is, you know, parent-child, brother-sister, siblings, uh, you know, marriage, all the closest relationships, employer-employee, that tends to be, it tends to be a love relationship, if you think about it. Manipulation or control tends to be in relationships where people love each other. And that's where this tends to show itself most. And it tends to be an exploitation. You know, whether we're being controlled or being the controller, there's an exploitation of life. Um, and and it's, it's unpleasant for everybody. So we're going to really spend some time unpacking this today. Um, all controlling people have weapons. You, you don't control without leverage. So how, think about it. If you are the one controlling or someone else is doing that to you, what do they use? What, what tactics? There are always some standard tactics. Uh, one is threats. A controlling person will threaten. Uh, it might not be spoken, but you understand that if you disappoint them or make them feel badly, there won't be consequences. You're not going to like. You're not going to get something you want. You're not going to, you know, however they make it known, this is not going to be pleasant for you. Um, silent treatment, shut you out, you know. Uh, the other one that is, you know, really a fun one is guilt and shame. Controlled by guilt. That's the passive aggressive, right? The threats are the aggressive aggressive. So you've got the aggressive person or the passive aggressive where it's guilt, you know, that if you loved me, you would. If you don't really love me, control. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, and what's really frustrating is if for a controlling person, is if they are really working hard to control you through guilt and shame and something passive, and you're not catching on, they move into full-fledged rage. But, you know, if you're, I, I, I know for myself, I'm so busy that when people try to be subtle with like manipulation like that, I just miss it because I'm so busy. I'm, and then I know somebody's like the Tasmanian devil over there, and I'm like, I didn't know you were shutting me out. I didn't notice the silent treatment. I'm so busy, I didn't even notice. I didn't notice the subtleties. So, you know, so if you don't catch on to what they're, how they're trying to punish you, 
it will ratchet up into new levels of ways to punish. Um, controllers demand. They demand attention, whatever it is, and they do it through whining, nagging, complaining. A favorite is control, uh, freezing you out, the silent treatment, avoiding you. But what always happens is people who are involved with controllers feel like they have to walk on eggshells. If you know that you're controlling, I promise you the people around you feel like they have to walk on eggshells. They can't relax and enjoy you. They can't relax and enjoy you. They're walking on eggshells all the time. So, you know, if, if people stay in relationship with you, they can't enjoy you to the fullest. You know what I, you know what, you know what you hear about people? You've all heard it. She, he is wonderful in this way, maybe creative or brilliant or artistic or musical or whatever, but they're so controlling. There's always the but. There's always gonna be a but behind your name if you're trying to control the people or the environment around you because you exhaust people. And that's the truth. We're gonna steal the truth because the truth sets us free, right? Like, let's get honest so we can get free. So there's truth. Okay, so an example is Delilah, here we go, we're talking about Delilah. She pouted. Okay, so here you go, we see it from the beginning of time. How can you tell me I love you when you don't share your secrets with me? You've made fun of me these three times and you still haven't told me what makes you so strong. She tormented him. The people around you are tormented with nagging day after day until, she, until he was sick to death of it. So finally he tells her, which by the way, Samson is not the brightest bold. How does Samson three times, he said, these are the ways that you can make me weak. And she keeps doing them and calling in his enemies and he busts out of it. But see, here's the thing, a controller literally starts to take over. I mean, Samson, the strongest man to ever live, was no match for the nagging and controlling of Delilah. The manipulation, the guilting, the everything. And it cost him his life. Cost him everything. God has an extraordinary plan for him. An extraordinary plan for him. He threw it away on Delilah. Which, by the way, he was never supposed to, this is a completely dysfunctional relationship. He was never supposed to be with her to begin with. He was only supposed to be with somebody. He disobeyed God in every step. You know, he's only supposed to be with someone in the children of Israel. They're, they weren't married. You know, they're living in sin, all kinds of things. So this is just a bad thing. This is a bad thing. But the point is, he threw it away on a controlling woman who sold him out for nothing. You, you've got to either examine yourself or examining, examine your relationships as we talk through this whole, this day. Um, but it, it can be very deadly as it was here for Samson. They, you know, it, a controlling person will figure out what your buttons are and find a way to grab a hold. And, and there's a reason why we're going to talk about it. And the reason is, you know, it's, it's not that, it's not that a controlling person is like this evil person. I think every single one of us has been a controlling person. I think every single one of us has been this person. So, you know, I think all of us have been in some way, you know, maybe it's with a, a parent child, maybe with, with your own children or your own parents or your siblings or, you know, your friends, you know, we, we all do it. And I, I and the, the controller is not trying to be malicious or unkind. And that's the truth. Yeah, I mean, it, unless you're a psychopath, right? There are like cruel people who love to do harm to people. But 
I don't think a psychopath is tuning in today. So if you find yourself in this particular category, it's not because you're, you know, you're trying to hurt the people around you. Typically, a controller is genuinely trying to help and trying to love, and that's the truth. They really are. Um, they, they think they so controllers have a overwhelming. Um, they tend to have an overwhelming sense of self-righteousness. They will be the smartest person in the room. They know better than you. They need to control you because they know better than you. You don't know as much as they do. You're not as holy as they are. You're not as good of a Christian as they are. You're not as fill in the blank. There will be some tape playing in their head as to why. They have a good reason why. They, they, they need to protect you from something. They, you know, they're, they're, um, in their own mind, their motive is usually love in their own mind. Truly. That's the truth. Um, you know, they're trying to hang on to you. They want you to love them back. They, whatever it is, there, there's, um, all controllers tend, psychologists show the controllers tend to live very externally focused lives. What does that mean? That means that they have to focus outside at everybody else's faults, at everybody else's weakness. They tend to have a very critical spirit. They're very critical. Why do they focus outside? Because they cannot look inside. They are avoiding. They are avoiding the truth about themselves. They're avoiding something, a pain, a rejection. They're avoiding how they don't want to feel hurt by you. They're avoiding something and it becomes like a drop to them. It is literally an escape from what they feel. So the focus is on who's not doing what. And a lot of times, they, you know, a, a controlling group of people will kind of gather together so they can all moan and groan about how bad the rest of everything else is, right? And, and but that won't last long. And, and controllers have a hard time hanging on to relationships because before too long, they're turning on each other. Because the other, you're not gonna, everybody's gonna disappoint you. Because that's life. We are gonna disappoint each other. This is how it is. So it's a, <clears throat> it, it's a, it's a heartbreaking thing. And the truth is, most controllers are very unaware. They are unaware. Sometimes we have a general idea, kind of foggy idea, like maybe this is going on, but we don't really know why. We don't really want to be part, we don't really want it to be like this, right? Um, one thing that is always consistent with the controller, they are always, 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 100% of the time, unless you're a psychopath, controlled, where we've excluded them from this talk, controlled by fear. You have to control because you are scared to death. Maybe you're scared to death of rejection. Maybe you're scared to death that someone's going to get hurt. Maybe you're trying to protect your children or your husband or you're from themselves. From your, you, you can fill in the blank, but there will always at the root, at the core, you always want to get to the core. You, you guys know that, you know, when I'm not teaching, on the weekends I'm not teaching, I do lots of very intense spiritual work. And every time I'm always trying to figure out what's the core. Because if you get to the core of a situation or an issue, you got to rip that thing out by the roots. You're always looking for why. 
What's the core? The core of a controller is fear. I promise you, they're the, they're, they're the most afraid people in the room. They're afraid of you. They're afraid of themselves. They're afraid of the world. They're afraid of getting hurt. They're afraid of sickness. They're afraid of, the tape goes nonstop and it exhausts them. It runs nonstop. If you are trying to control, it's because you're afraid. And if you're afraid, it's because you can't trust God. You can't trust him. By the way, you don't trust him. Controllers will always say they do. No, you don't. No, you don't. You're lying to yourself. If you trusted him, you wouldn't have to cling so tightly. You wouldn't. If you trusted him, you wouldn't have to be so afraid because he's got you. Um, you don't have confident faith in God. You have faith in yourself. Your faith is in yourself. If, it, if you have to control it because it's up to you, it's not up to God. You can't trust the people in your life and you can't trust yourself. I mean, you can't trust God and you can't trust the world around you. And you have to control it because you're the only person you can really trust. You're the only person you have to have your hands on everything. So an example is Sarah, she says to Abraham, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. Wait a second. Sarah told the truth. God was preventing her from having children. He was preventing her. He was not giving her the blessing. Why? Because he wanted to give her an extraordinary miracle that would be the most special thing that ever happened to any pregnant woman ever alive. And in including her waiting and trusting God for his time. So she's right. God prevented her. But what does she do? She controls it. She had it. She nailed it. The first part is right. And guess what? God didn't give her. She did get a child through her servant. How did that work out for Sarah? The greatest heartbreak of her life. The greatest heartbreak of Abraham's life. This was heart. This is devastation. Would have been so much better for her to not try to control and trust God and wait however long it was going to take. It hurts. The waiting hurts. I wish faith anesthetized us from the pain. I say this all the time. Faith does not anesthetize us. You don't get to go through life pain-free because you have faith. And that's just, I hate that. I really do. I'm just like, why can't we, why can't we be pain-free if we're trusting? You're still, it's going to hurt you that, that that's not there yet. Because that stretches your faith. That gives, anybody who's done some working out knows Ginger's working me out right now. That's our, my personal trainer. And I can tell you she's trying to whip me in shape, but it's not working too well so far. But pray for her. But, you know, <laughs> but I can tell you that she puts me through pain. I don't like her on the days we're not here together. But, um, you know, the pain is what makes you, gives you the strength. You have to wait. Get your hands off of it. You're making a mess. You're hurting yourself. No one got hurt in that more. I mean, Sarah got devastated by this. She devastated her own life. She devastated her own marriage. She devastated her own child, right? Eventually they sent Ishmael away because Ishmael was cruel to her own son. She devastated everything. Just take your hands off. Okay, this is a long scripture. So Kat, you're going to have to keep it going. I'm going to read it here. So you just follow up there. Um, that means I need my glasses again. Um, <laughs> This is, and, and listen, I feel like I should always apologize for long scripture readings. And I'm like, I refuse to apologize. This is the Holy Word of God. This is going to be a lot of scripture. 
but I want you to hear it straight from God's mouth. He can say it better than I can. This really shows you. So here we go. It's a lot of scripture. Hang on. But you were unwilling to go up. This is Moses talking to the children of Israel. And if you're reading along in the Bible, we just read this, so it's going to be familiar. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents. You said the Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Ammonites to destroy us. Here's the first thing, okay? Because these are, these are controllers. So first step is they don't believe God loves them. They literally say he hates them. He's trying to give, this is right before they're supposed to go into the promised land. He's trying to give them the biggest blessing. They're, they've only been out of Egypt a couple months. He's trying to take them straight to the promised land. He's trying to give them the biggest blessing. But because they're so controlling and can't trust him, instead of seeing that he's giving them the greatest gift, he's saying, God hates us. You will think if you're a controller, you just won't believe God truly loves you. You can't possibly believe God truly loves you. You won't believe it because if you did, you trust him. So you don't believe it if you're controlling. So this is such a sad story. Okay, let me keep going. And then the next thing is, so where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. Wait, nobody else made your heart melt in fear. They're the victim of the thing. Controllers are victims. They feel like they're victims. They're trying to control everything, but they feel like they're victims. So it's their, it's their brother's fault that they feel this way. It's, it's not their fault. First it's God's fault, then it's their brother's, everybody else's fault. They, they, they made our hearts melt in fear. They say the people are stronger than and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls to the sky. We even saw the Anakites. Those are giants. They had huge giants in that day. So they saw giants there. Then I said to you, Moses is saying, don't be terrified. Don't be afraid of them. The Lord your God is going before you and he will fight for you. As he did in Egypt before your very eyes and in the wilderness, there you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carried his son all the way you went until you reached this place. By the way, Moses isn't standing in front of us right now, this pleading how God's goodness in your life, but you got an entire book of 66 books pleading with you to trust God that he wants good for you. So Moses isn't standing here, but in your situation, God is still fighting for you because you are his people and you are his children and he loves you. And you got a book pleading with you to trust him. Same thing, same story to us today. In spite of this, what's the big words? You did not trust in the Lord your God. The control freak, they took it into their own hands. Why? Because they didn't really trust him. Who went ahead of you on your journey in the fire, night and day in the cloud by day, searched out places for you to camp and showed you the way you should go. See, that's, that's our stories, right? So many of us were like, how are we even still standing? How are we even still in this room? God all along has been the cloud by day. All along, he's been guiding your path. God's like, why can't you see this? Search out the places. When the Lord heard what you said, he was angry and solemnly swore, no one from this evil generation will see the good land I swore to give the ancestors, except Caleb. He will see it and I will give him and his ancestors the land he set his feet on because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Let me tell you something. When we don't trust him, when we doubt his goodness, when we try to control, God does not stay neutral emotional. You want to control something? You're trying to push buttons. Guess whose buttons you're really pushing? Not buttons you want to push. Didn't turn out the way they thought controlling things would work. So continuing on. And the little ones that you said would be taken captive because they, I try to abbreviate this a little bit. They said our children are going to die. 
Isn't that the thing we so much hang on to, our kids? Our kids are not going to be, God can't protect our kids. Our kids, our kids, <coughs> our, or our spouses, or our, I had a huge fear of Dave, because he's been so sick for so many years, dying. And God had to deal with me, and I'm not going to go into that too much, but it's fear that God doesn't have his hand on the lives of those we love. So we have to control it. So here we go. The little ones that you said would be taken captive, your children who didn't know good from bad, they will enter the land. I will give it to them and they will take possession of it. But as for you, you're out. He says, turn around and set toward the desert along the route of the Red Sea. Then you replied, all of a sudden, now they're like, okay, we realize we have sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight as the Lord our God commands us. So every one of you put on his weapons, thinking this is what the control thing, freak thinks, because they think it's up to them. They think it's truly in their hands. They think they're capable. It's arrogance. They think they're capable. Now, when God was with them, that wasn't enough. Now, God has said, I'm not giving this thing to you. You got, you didn't give it to me. So now, but see, they still believe in themselves. By the way, culture tells you all you have to do is believe in yourself. That's the biggest lie. And guess what? People are falling to pieces because they're like, I, pound, I was about to pound my microphone. <laughs> pound my chest. I believe in myself. That's not carrying me through very far. <laughs> you find out you excuse yourself and I, that's not, do, that's not doing too good. You're making a mess everywhere. So here they go, but they believe in themselves. Let's see how it turns out for them when they believe in themselves. I believe in myself. Um, so they, they, they strap on their weapons. We've sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight as the Lord our God commanded us. So every one of you put on his weapons thinking it's easy to go to the hell country. But the Lord said to me, tell them, don't go up and fight because I will not be with you. See, here's the thing. A couple hours earlier, he was with them. They didn't trust him because they had to take control. A few hours later, he's no longer with them in the fight. How's this go? It, the God says, you will be defeated by your enemies. So I told you, but what's the control freak do? But you wouldn't listen. You wouldn't listen. Con con control freaks know best. Better than God, better than people, better than anybody. You rebelled against the Lord's commandments and in your arrogance, see God calls it arrogance, you marched up into the hill country and the Ammonites who lived in this hill came out against you. They chased you like a swarm of bees and beat you down all the way. And you came back and wept before the Lord, but he paid no attention to your weeping and turned a deaf ear to you. That makes you think for a second. And see, I've done this. I have been there, done this. Um, taking those things into my own hands. I've never done myself more harm. Never done myself, never done the people I love more harm than when I tried to control myself or them, or my situation, or my environment, or whatever. Um, we offend God. If you are ever going to live a life of true obedience, you're going to have to trust him more than you trust yourself. And especially more than the way you feel. Because your feelings will lie to you every step. See, their feelings were lying to them. We, we can't do this. You're right, you couldn't. God was going to do it for you. Isn't that a gift? He wanted to give you a gift. But if you trust yourself more than you trust God, you are never going to live a life of obedience. And you're always going to live a life of frustration. And those feelings are liars. They just, they're, 
you got to keep them in check. you got to check and see if they line up with the word of God. What you see in this example is a nation trying to control safety from a place of fear instead of a place of faith. Does that sound familiar? An entire nation trying to say, how do we keep ourselves safe, but not through faith? I can tell you that the peace I have had in COVID, I'm telling you, I've not had five seconds of fear. Not, not. Now, if this would have hit years prior, that wouldn't have been true. I've just been through enough with God that literally my life is just in his hands, just totally in his hands. It's totally not mine. I don't want it. I once had it. That was not a good time. Now it's his. So it's a freeing thing. It is in his hands. Do, can, this is a great test. This is a test. See how you felt through this season. There's truth in that. You see control. See, control is satanic. God honors free will. Now, God created all of us. And yet he's so loving. He doesn't try. He says, I will honor your free will. I won't make you love me. I won't make you serve me. I won't try to. God honors your free will. He lets you decide for you. Satan always tries to control. Always tries to control. Always. And you see that, you know, I was just thinking, um, you see nations who have dictators or leaders who try to control. Look how that ends. Look at Hitler, Stalin, Mao. Control. If you don't see that there's evil in all that control, when you see liberty and justice for all, can you see the difference? That was based on God's word. Our nation was founded on God's word. And God's word honors human choice within bounds, within, you know, a law, a legal system. Um, God honors free will. But here's the difference. And this is the, you know, I, I always say, okay, you guys know I say it every, I swear, if there's not a sermon, I don't say this. The devil's in the ditches. I'm going to start pointing at you guys. You know what I'm going to say, the devil's in the ditches. Because you've got this one side, but then you've got this other side. I want to talk about the ditch to this thing. Because although God honors free will, obviously in the example we just read, he is not passive. There are consequences. So there's not passivity to any rebellious thing in the world. There's not, he's not passive. He's not passive. You just saw that. I'm going to give you an excellent example. So it's Peter. And you guys know the story, but just, I just pray in the name of Jesus, you can see this with a fresh eye, okay? From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things in the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He's going to suffer. He's telling them, I'm going to suffer. He would be killed. And on the third day, he would be raised. Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for such saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. Did you know? I mean, listen, if a controlling person can be a dangerous trap to Jesus, controlling person is a dangerous trap to yourself and to others. And it's all the way around. Uh, and so you're a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. 
Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Step by step, we're going to walk through this. Peter takes Jesus aside. Always a controlling person tries to isolate, try to take you into a corner and say, I just need to confront you about something. I just need to tell you something you're doing wrong. I just need to let you know what you should do. You know, they isolate. First of all, they don't want other people to see what they're doing. Now, they might not psychologically realize that they're doing, but they are. They're not going to say that in front of everybody, right? They're going to, they, they try to take you aside and impose their will on you. But here's the thing. This is a love relationship. Mm-hmm. Jesus loved Peter. Peter loved Jesus. That's why he's saying this. He's not trying to control Jesus to be mean. He's, he loves Jesus. This is, this is not him being awful. But Jesus knew what he was called to do. So one thing that is important in dealing with a controlling person, you got to know what your calling is. I know what my calling is. I can't tell you. I didn't always know what my calling is. If you ask the Lord, he will show you because you were born for a purpose for such a time as this. You've got to know what you're supposed to be doing. And when you when you are, you don't let anything stop you. And the enemy will always send controllers to try to discourage you and stop you. See, Peter's trying to stop Jesus from suffering. He's trying to, he's, he's not a bad guy. He's, he's not intentionally trying to stop Jesus from the very purpose of why he was sent here. That's not his intent. But had he been successful, it would have been the result. So your intent might not be bad, but when you're trying to control others, the result will be bad. Jesus realizes, you know, he's like, I know Peter loves me. Jesus knows everything. He knows Peter's doing this from a place of love. He understands that. So, and he understands that that Peter thinks that he is controlling to be protective. That is a really common line. I'm controlling to protect you. Um, But what does Jesus call it? Satanic. He calls it satanic. Get away from me, Satan. He calls that satanic. He says to Peter, I am unwilling to participate in this evil. He calls it evil. He draws a boundary line. See, when you see that something is evil or ungodly, you are not supposed to participate. No matter what the threat, no matter what the, what, what the consequence. Uh, he says, Peter, I can't participate in your fear. I refuse to participate in your fear. Peter wanted Jesus to enter into his fear. And Jesus was like, I will not enter into that. You're a stumbling block to me. You're going to cause me harm. He says, your fear is fleshly, not godly. Fear is of the flesh. He says, Peter, not okay. I'm not going to allow this inappropriate control <coughs> that you're trying to exert for Christ. You, a controlling person will try to, if, if you'll, and listen, if you try to do it over the Son of God, you'll try to do it over anybody. He says, this is not healthy. This is not godly. I refuse to participate, and I'm stopping it right here, right now. Draw that boundary line swift and hard the very first time. Immediately. And here, why is, it's not just that Jesus is taking care of himself. He's also taking care of Peter. He's like, 
I love you too much to participate in this dysfunction. You know, we, in marriages, we have to be like, I love you too much. You're not gonna yell and scream. This is not healthy. I love you too much. We're not gonna use the divorce word in our marriage. I love you too much. We're not gonna do that. You know, we're, I refuse to accept the guilt that you're trying to put on me right now because it isn't truth. I mean, listen, if it's truth, you better take a good look. I'm going to love you, but not allow this. And that's the important thing. I'm gonna keep loving you, I'm just not gonna allow this. I'm not gonna participate in this. Every relationship, and this is the truth, it's probably something worth even writing down if you're taking notes. Every relationship you have is a combination of something you have created and something you have allowed. It's very true. Every single relationship is part of what you've created and part of what you've allowed. You may be purposely creating things, but you might be passively allowing things that are, that are causing pathways. A lot of times when you are allowing things, it's because it's the pathway of least resistance. It's just easier. It's just easier. We may create healthy patterns or allow unhealthy patterns. If you don't like what you have, change your behavior or change what you're accepting. Change. God will help you. God will give you the power to do it. Um, so I know all the passive people in here right now are um, happily pointing fingers at the controlling people. You're making a list of all those bad, bad controlling people. <laughs> now I'm coming for y'all. Because <laughs> you want, hey, listen, we are one or the other, and sometimes it just depends on where we are in our day. My husband loves that Sting song, All Four Seasons in One Day. He says, that's me. I don't know if you guys know that. <laughs> and that's us, right? I mean, what? So listen, in some particular relationships, you might be the passive. Maybe with your parents, you're passive. Maybe with your spouse, you're the controller. You know, we, we all play different roles. So, so where do we... So let's talk about the passive people. Okay. Um... There's one thing that every controller has in common. That's those who let themselves be controlled. They can't do it without you. They can't do it without you. You allow it. And you don't think you do. You think you're a victim. But you do. Because thankfully for us, we live in a free country. So you are, you have choices. You know, we, we know that there are Muslim nations where women are horribly treated and don't have any choices and blah, blah, blah. But that's not who I'm talking to today. You have choices about, you have choices about your interaction in a relationship. I'm going to tell you something that's really interesting. Think about it for a second. The root of all passivity is fear. Same exact root. As I was thinking about this and praying on this, I had like in the middle of the night, I had a light bulb moment. I'm like, it's the same root. Look at it. You're afraid. Here's one thing a passive loves to do. I do a lot of marriage counseling. And I always notice this about the passive in the relationship. Um, if I'm not responsible, if I don't make the decision, it's not my fault and it's not my problem. 
So you go make all the decisions and then I'll be the victim of that. Then I don't have to carry any blame or any responsibility or any of the other stuff. Um, passives are afraid if you'll be mad at me. Passives are afraid to deal with drama or the punishment if they don't do what the controller wants. Fear, fear, fear. They're afraid of what the controller thinks. They're afraid of what the controller feels. Uh, this is uh, also known as people pleasing. A passive is a people pleaser. Um, and here's the thing. If you're doing that, you are following the will of a person instead of the will of God. And when you follow the will of a person over the will of God, guess what you are doing? You are making that person your idol. You absolutely have to choose. Is it going to be the person or the people or the family system or the whatever or God? You can't have both. You can't. And I'm going to show you how in scripture. Apostle Paul is saying, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people. He's like, obviously. <laughs> Did you guys know it was obvious? You might not have known it was obvious, but he's like, how stupid could you be? Of course I'm not trying to win the approval of people anymore. If pleasing people were my goal, I wouldn't be Christ's servant. They are mutually exclusive. Mutually exclusive. Pleasing people and pleasing God, you got to choose who's it going to be. You can't do both. It doesn't work. And people pleasers will 100% of the time be controlled by controlling people because controlling people find you and exploit it because you reek of it. Literally, you, you can tell, you know, you can tell that this person is just going to crumble. A people pleaser has to be clear on God's calling, just like Jesus. You got to say, this is what God's asking me to do. And that's what I'm going to do. No matter what, no matter how you feel, no matter what you think. You know, sometimes we're called, if you've ever had a, um, you know, controlling mother-in-law. And, you know, that mother-in-law is trying to get in the middle of that family. And, you know, this marriage is what God called me to do. You've got to honor the marriage. You know, there, there's so many examples. I could give them all day long. I'm not, I'm not going to get bogged down with that. Um, but there will be people, if you're really living for God, there will be people who truly love you and who you truly love. And they will really care about you. And in their dysfunction... They will try to distract you from the higher calling and the higher purpose. And if you allow that, you will now be idolizing their opinion over what God wants to bless you with, like the children of Israel. You're going to forfeit that blessing for their opinion. And by the way, their opinion will change five minutes from now. So is it, you know, I mean, they're, they're, ask yourself, who's pulling your strings? Who's pulling your strings? Who is it? Who are you giving power to? Is it God? It's going to be peace. Even, even in the midst of people being upset with you sometimes. What if Jesus handled Peter's um, control, his attempt to control differently? What if he was like, oh, Peter, I don't want you to be upset. Peter, I, I want you to feel safe. This makes you feel unsafe. I, I, can't, I can't go to the cross. I'm sorry. I, Peter's going to be upset. Peter might stop being my, my disciple. He might unfollow me on Instagram. I mean, he might totally <laughs> bail on me. You know, what if Jesus would have succumbed to Peter's effort to control? 
None of us would be here today. No one would be saved from their sins. No one, you can forfeit everything. See, we see example after example of if you give in to others, people's attempt to control you, or if you are trying to control others, the extreme damage it does. Thank God Jesus did not idolize Peter's thoughts and feelings. Thank God his source was God. And that's what he was going to follow. I wonder how many people have forfeited great things for the kingdom of God. Because they gave in to guilt and threats. They didn't want people to be upset with them. And so they forfeited what God wanted to do. Conflict avoiders. What's really bad about these conflict avoiders, you know, there's so many names for them. Um, passives, they always feel like they're victims because they feel that they're being, their strings are being pulled. They feel like they're popping on the strings. They feel like victims. And even worse, a lot of times, they call themselves peacemakers. They pat themselves on the back. I'm a peacemaker. No, you're not. No, you're not. You don't have a backbone. You're not willing to make a stand for what God has called you to do, you're not a peacemaker. The Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will inherit the earth. Not at the sake of godliness. Look at, look at Jesus. He wasn't a peacemaker with Peter, right? He's like, get away from me, Satan. You're a stumbling block. You, you are a doormat. You're an enabler. And worst of all, you're an idolater. Peace, peacemakers. You need to know if it's actually peace you're making or if it's an idol worshiping. And you got to really look at, we got to look at ourselves. Well, you know, I, I, like I said, I do a lot of counseling. So I hear this. Well, what if I'm okay with being a doormat? Listen, this is our relationship. I love him. He loves me. She loves me. He loves her. This is our dynamic, which by the way, it wouldn't be in counseling if they're really that happy with it. But change is hard. Change is painful. So sometimes a doormat's like, I just, I'm okay with staying in the doormat. I'm just going to stay down here. It's easier. It's a path of least resistance. I'm okay with it. Do you know what my answer is to that? It's not about you. It's not about us. It's dysfunctional. It's sick. You got to stop. I'm going to show you. A prime example, because it will hurt you, it will hurt others when you tolerate it and when you participate with it. Okay, we're going, we're back to Abraham and and Sarah. So Sarah says to Abraham, I'm going to read it again. The Lord has prevented me from having children. She was right. Go sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have a child through her. And Abraham agreed with Sarah's proposal. So Sarah's wife, so Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, the servant, and gave her to Abraham. Wait a second. Abraham... He's a passive. Why? He's the man of the house. He's supposed to be the spiritual leader. Why does he go along with this? See, we always talk about how Sarah, you know, Sarah, how could she come up with this? Why did Abraham? Abraham is supposed to be the man. He's supposed to be the spiritual leader. Abraham has talked to to, to God face to face over and over again. And then Abraham says, so then later on, right, she's mad at Hagar. And Abraham says, look, she's your servant, so deal with her as you fit, as you see fit. So Sarah treats Hagar so harshly that she finally runs away. He's passive 
servant who is a pawn in their controlling passive relationship. This poor servant is suffering for Hagar and Ishmael. They were innocent. But because he was passive and she was controlling, how dare he be passive? See, to me, I know Sarah gets the blame for this thing in this story. To me, I think Abraham. To me, it's Abraham. Come on. You're the man of God. Why do you say, oh, yeah, sure, I'm going to go sleep with my servant, or, oh, yeah, go ahead, do whatever you want to her. Path of, path of least resistance. Where's the character? Where's the character? But there's a happy ending to this story because you know what? Abraham learns from his mistakes. It's never too late. And this is what we love about Jesus, right? Never too late. Ishmael's born when he's 86. Isaac is born when he's 100. And guess what? He still becomes the father of faith. He still becomes the man he's supposed to become. And his family is blessed. And his offspring is blessed. And his bloodline is blessed. So if you've gotten it wrong, it's not too late. Never too late. If 100 isn't too late, you're probably safe. Probably, you can probably still turn it around. <laughs> I believe... I, know, I can only tell you what I believe, but I'm going to tell you my thought on this. I believe that God prefers a strong personality, a controller, to a passive. I'm going to show you why. I really believe that. I'm going to show you why. The Lord will strongly correct the control freak. He will, he will, it hurts. Been there, done it. Have that t-shirt. Um, he will do it. Um, but there's a lot of rejection with the passive. And I'm going to tell you why. I believe it's because with a strong personality, um, it's a lack of faith. It's a lack of trust. With a passive personality, it's a lack of faith and it's a lack of trust if there's idolatry. You're worshiping something more than him. And I think that's more pungent to God. And I'm going to show you some scriptures. Go ahead. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew, and he ate and drank, and then got up and left, and Esau despised his birthright. So here he's passive about his birthright. The gift that God had given him, he's passive about. And God said he despised what God had given him. He despised it because he's passive. So then, go ahead, Romans 9.13 says, just as it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. Jacob was an extreme controller. Esau was a passive. He loved Jacob. Neither are perfect. God does not Thankfully, it's not about perfection because then he would love nobody, right? But he says, I hated Esau. He hated the passivity. See, here you have Peter, the control freak, and God calls him Satan. That might hurt the feelings a little bit. God calls him Satan, and yet he says, you're the rock I'm going to build the church upon he didn't, he said, I can do something with that strength. I can do something if you'll let me, if you'll learn to trust me, I can do something with that strength. So if you're a passive, it's time for you to realize you have responsibility. It's time for you to stop playing the victim card and realize that you are actually living in idolatry and you gotta make this, you gotta make this right. So we just said, Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you're a stumbling block to me. You only have the things of mine and flesh, the things of the flesh in mind. 
really strong language. So if you're a passive, how you gonna how you gonna deal with your controller here? You gonna tell him get behind me, Satan? <laughs> that could work out for you. <laughs> My husband might have said that to me a time or two. I'll never tell. But anyway, <laughs> listen. A passive. Listen. I know it's hard. It's hard for the controller. It's hard for the passive because relationships are hard and life. It's life, and we're not perfect. And we come with a set of personality quirks that we that God wants to. He spends a lifetime making us better and redefining us. But a passive, you have to make a decision, and the decision has to say, I am way more interested in pleasing God than I am in pleasing you. You have to verbally stand up and take control. You're going to have to say it. You can't just think it like a mouse in a mouse hole. You're going to have to go out there and say, God first. This is wrong. Not, not participating. Um, and sometimes it's been part of our relationship agreement, right? Because what I, we said, we create patterns. So maybe this has been going on for a long time. And all of a sudden you realize, hey, I've been part of this thing. And now what do I do? It's too hard. No, it's not too hard. God will give you the strength. You're going to have to make a stand and let the chips fall where they may. You have to make a decision not to participate anymore, and that's up to you. And with God's help, you will do it. Um, but let me tell you, and this is the truth, because you know I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. Um, the controller is going to be very angry. It's going to rear up. They're not going to take that lying down. They're not. Because you've had a unspoken dysfunctional, codependent situation, even if it's between friends or whatever. I mean, these things these things create themselves with parents, children, friends, whatever. However it is, this has been going on maybe for a long time, and now you are trying to redefine the relationship, and that is not going to be taken lying down. I can just tell you it's not. It's, it's painful. It hurts. It hurts the controller, and you know why it mostly hurts the controller? They're afraid you're going to stop loving them. They're afraid you're going to leave. You know, it's so important that you're like, I'm staying, but I'm not participating. I love you. I'm not taking my ball and going home. I love you, but this isn't okay. And then you're going to have to be okay with them being upset. That's really hard for a passive. It makes them feel uncomfortable. And it becomes about them. It makes you uncomfortable to make them upset. So now you're thinking about yourself and how it makes you feel. Not really what's best for them, because what's best for them is to experience the discomfort of you making a stand and them having to make a choice. It, they have to make a decision. If you really love them, you're going to not participate in this dysfunctional thing that, that Jesus himself wouldn't participate in. The Bible says the only truth will set you free. You're going to have to tell the truth. And then you're going to have to stand on it. And then you're going to have to let them feel how they feel and let them work through it. Love God enough, love the person enough to put God first and take them out of idle status. The way status is on all our social media, I think we need idle status. They need to go out of idle status. And it's time to create some God-honoring patterns. Not where, you, not where you walk out, where you go deeper. Where it gets better. 
You know, Jesus did not tread lightly with Peter. You know, he used forceful language. He used blunt language. He used truth. Uh, you know, we, we've, we've gotten so far away from truth in our society, nobody wants to tell the truth about anything. Because feelings are honored above truth. But in Scripture, the Bible says your heart is deceitful above all else. And your heart is, is the root of your feelings. But it says truth will bring freedom. If you love somebody, it's not about the feelings, it's about the truth. But we've now honored feelings more than we honor truth. We need to honor truth. And they will say, you hurt my feelings. And you're going to have to say, yes, I know. Because I love you. Because this is not good for any of us. This isn't good for you. It's not good for me. You're going to have to be okay with it. You're going to have to sit in that and let them choose what they're going to do with your decision. Um, there just have to be consequences. Here's the thing. Control freaks are exhausted. If you love them, they're exhausted. It is exhausting to try to hang on to control of everything. It is, it, it is so, it hurts them so much. They are carrying around the weight of the world and it's up to them for everything. This is a terrible way to live your life. Like, like psychology today said, that's who comes in depressed, that's who comes in anxious, that's who comes in miserable. This isn't happy for them. So love them enough to make a stand. It's a miserable way of life. Make a stand. Do it with love and stay through the hard stuff because it will get hard. It will. It's hard. Here's the thing. When you're around a controlling person a lot and you start to try to make these tweaks, you may try to fix them. Then you try to flip-flop, right? Now you're the one trying to control. Got to be very careful. That's a trap. Do not try to control a, troll, a controller. You've got to say, this is what I'm going to do. This is what we need to do. Now you have to decide what you're going to do. That's between you and God. And not, see, we, we will so quickly start to try to yank their chain. This is what God has asked me to do. You decide what you're going to do. This is where I stand and I'm not moving, not an inch, not, a, not that much. Not moving. This is my position. Now you decide what you're going to have to do. That's between you and God. Take your hands off of that. Don't, don't move into trying to control them. That's what we want to do. Just say, I'm going to humbly, humbly serve God. It's what I've got to do. Can't tell you how many times I've been in this place in my life and over and over and over again, God has asked me to put people on the altar and, and many people who love me much and I love them much. If I would have listened, I would have gotten derailed. And you, you know, you just have to say, this is the path God has me. This is the path. This is the path. Um, so that's for, that's for the passive person. Hopefully you have some tools. Now, how about for the person who wants to be a reformed controller? And what about this person who wants to be a reformed passive? Because it's the same prescription because it's fear. Fear is the root of everything. It's really this simple. You're tired of being passive or you're tired of being controlling. It's, it, it, it's, we make it harder than it is. It's so simple. Trust God. That's it. Trust God. See, back to Peter, the scripture here. Um, and it says, after Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, what does he say? 
He says, the very next thing he says, if you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, a controller and a passive, they're both trying to hang on to their life. If you're trying to hang on to your life, you will lose it. It's the truth. You can't lie. If you're trying to hang on out of fear, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. So we're not even, we're giving up our lives for God. We're trusting our lives to God. You want to get free? Trust God. It's not about trusting the people around you. It's not about trusting yourself. It's just about trusting him. It's about trusting that he is good. You can't be everybody's God. You can't. Nobody can. And by the way, the passive is usually trying to take care of the controller, and the controller is trying to take care of the passive. Everybody's trying to play God to each other. It doesn't work. You can't even be your God, own God anymore. If you are going to truly follow God, you cannot be your own God or anybody else's. When you lay God down, God himself will pick it up, whatever it is, whatever it is. And I promise you, he gives it back better. When you put it down, when you say, I'm not going to fight with this anymore, I'm not going to, I'm not going to nag, I'm not going to whine, I'm not going to manipulate, I'm going to pray. I'm going to offer this up. Jesus says to you and me, if you want to follow me, you can never be in control again. He says, that's my part. You give me control. You're never in control again. And I will fight for you. I will lead you into the promised land. I will give you the child you're waiting for. I will, you know, whatever it is. He's like, I'll give it to you, but it's going to be my way. and You're going to have to wait for it. It's no longer about our will. It's about his will. You know, think about it. What did Jesus say? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's about him. It's not even about the person in front of you. It's not even about yourself. What did Jesus say? Not my will be done, but yours, Lord. I trust you, God. It was the most difficult. And to obey, you must trust God. Deuteronomy 10 says, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God? Walk in obedience to him, love him, serve him with all your heart, with all your soul. Observe the Lord's commandments and decrees I'm giving you today for your own good. This is for our good. If you need good in your life, you need good in your soul, you need good in your body, you need good in your mind, it's for your good. See, Satan's lie says we need to remain in control for our own good. I need to control to protect myself for my own good. God says, for your own good, you need to relinquish control and walk in faith. Trust me to do good by you. When we try to control, we lose the very thing we're trying to control. We literally destroy it. The relationship you're trying to control, you're destroying. The, the, anything. And see, we know Abraham learned this because eventually he put Isaac on the altar. So... He became the father of faith because he learned. And he was 100. It was late. He didn't learn from the beginning. So if he didn't get it right so far, God gave Abraham a long time to get this straightened out. He is merciful and kind and gracious and gives us a bazillion chances. He's amazing. It's a, control is such an illusion. We can control nothing. We can't keep the people we love safe. 
We can't keep ourselves safe. We can't, we can't keep anybody loving us or we can't control any of that. It's such a, it's such a pretend thing. It's a fairy tale. Um, but we certainly hurt ourselves. What we have to have is faith. You guys know how much I love this scripture. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. If you don't trust him, you cannot please him. But this is what I love. But anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. He, it's as important to God that you believe that he exists as it is that you believe that he's a rewarder. He's pleading with you to know his character. Remember how Moses pleaded saying, please know how good God is. Please know how he has good for you. Please know how he'll fight for you. Please know how he'll give this to you. Know who he is. Know that he's a rewarder. If you have faith in him, you can relax. He's going to take care. He's going to deal with it. Whatever the it is. The controller and the passive are exhausted. If you're living in that loop, you're exhausted. Not because you're bad. There is, but because you are getting it wrong, right? We get it wrong. We're humans because you're getting it wrong. God wants to give you rest. And this scripture, again, is a long one, but I've got to gotta wrap up with this scripture. This is God's promise of entering his rest still stands. I could just drop Mike right there. He still wants to give you rest. It's his promise to give your soul rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. Stop. Tremble with fear that you might fail to experience it. God is offering it to you, but you might not get it. You might fail to experience the rest that he wants you to have. For this good, this is the good news. See, it's good news that he wants to give you rest. That God has prepared this rest, has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith. Why couldn't they get rest? Because they didn't have faith. To those who listen for God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. Only if you believe God's goodness can you actually rest in him. Only if you believe his love for you. He loves you. He cares about you. He cares about your situation. Then you can receive rest. As for the others, God said, in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. Even though his rest has been ready since he made the world. Since he made the world. He planned rest for our souls. That's who he is. He's not a slave driver. He's kind. So God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. They didn't get the rest. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. It's still waiting for us. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we obey God as the people of Israel did, but if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. For the world, for the word of God is alive and powerful. Isn't that a blessing? This word is powerful and it is alive. It is sharper than a sharp, sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes the innermost parts of your thoughts and being. Controller, passive, it's exposing it. So let us come boldly to the throne. And this is so great of our gracious God. If you feel bad about maybe being in one of these categories today, just come boldly to his presence. You don't have to feel bad. He's just waiting for you. He's gracious. 
There, will, there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. But if you need anything more than this, you will find mercy, you will find grace, he will help you when you need it most. If you realize you've been missing his rest and carrying a load that you were never created to carry, guess what? Just come into his presence and he's gonna give you the rest. Listen, no matter how much guilt you throw someone's way, no matter how many times you threaten, can you change or have power over your spouse? No. As a matter of fact, it drives. Can you have power over your children? Can you protect them? No. But when you try to control them because you love them and you're trying, you drive them away. You have no ability to do the very thing you're trying to do, but you're harming yourself and others. And it is time to let it down. When we realize we don't have the power to control, when we realize that this is not within our hands, um, we can surrender it. We can surrender it. And I think that maybe a lot of us, and the blessing of the, the time <clears throat> in which we live, is I think we're worn out. If you're not worn out from 2020 and 2021, I mean, it has been wild. If you've never known that you don't have control, you know it now. It's time to surrender control. And then wait. Because let me tell you, this ain't Mickey D's. This is not drive through fixing people. It is not having your way Burger King. I'm telling you, it is a wait like Sarah. You have to surrender control and wait. And a lot of times, wait and wait and wait and wait. And it's worth the wait. It's worth the wait. Surrender it. Take your hands off of it. Give it to God. Let it go. Let it go. Mark says, Jesus said, he rebuked the wind and the waves and the sea. He said, hush, be still. The wind and the waves and the sea in your soul. Jesus is saying, hush, be still. The wind died down, and I love the Amplified version, as if it had grown weary. Maybe it's time. Maybe you're weary. And there was at once a great calm. At once, guys. The minute you surrender, there is peace. I promise you, I have been in the worst, worst positions of my life. And I surrender something. I did. I mean, literally, when I was surrendering it to God, there's a cross. I don't even know how to find it. Some church somewhere, I was lost. I had just moved here. And, I mean, God was doing, oh, my goodness. He was just, for years, just stripping me bare, stripping me bare, stripping me bare. And I was on a highway, and God was dealing with me. And I, there was a church and a cross, and I don't even know how I got there, and I wish I could find it again. And I pulled in. It was like a Saturday afternoon. And I was sobbing and shaking. And just, and God was saying, you're going to have to let that go and that go. And for me, it's people. People, I love people so much. Laying them down is excruciating. It's like, you've got to let go of that. You're hanging on to stuff. And it's not healthy for you or for them. And I remember going to that cross. I could, it was all I could do. It was a big white cross in the middle of the church lawn. I literally just laid down at the foot of that cross. And it was a turning point. Can I tell you that this ministry, which I didn't know it was a ministry at the time, was birthed one week later. 
God is like saying to me, Steph, you gotta lay stuff down. For I can do in you what I need to do. You gotta let stuff go. Sometimes the things we have to let go are, you know, I, I one of the things I was attached to was the spirit of mourning. I was stuck in sadness. Sometimes it's not, sometimes it's a thing you wouldn't even think. But anyway, a calm comes immediately. When I laid that, it was such a struggle to get up to that cross and lay it down. When I laid it down, I rose up with joy. There was joy when I finally let it go. God will instantly give you joy, even if there's loss associated with it. And, it's, and then Jesus said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still not have faith and confidence in me? Do you still not have faith and confidence in him? Psalms 46, 10, it says, just be still and know that I am God. Just be still. Have the faith, then be still. Take your hands up. Let him do it. Shut your mouth. Let him do it. Draw your boundary line. Then be quiet. Let him do it. Don't just, just do what you know you need to do. There were two things that we just read about recently that God told the Israelites, the priests had to tell people before they went to war. He said, these are the two things I want you to tell the people. Deuteronomy 20, it says, for the Lord your God is going with you. He will fight for you and will give you victory. So first of all, he's going to fight for you. He's going to give you victory. So that's the first thing. He encouraged the people when they went to a battle, I'm going to give it to you. But do you know what the second thing is? This is a weird two top two things. Then also tell them to say, if anyone here is afraid or worried, is anyone here afraid or worried? If you are, go home before you frighten anybody else. See, if we're living in fear and worry of what people think or of losing people or whatever the thing is, he can't give you the blessing and it will spread. See, he's saying your fear and worry will spread to everybody around you like gangrene. So he would tell the warriors, if you're afraid, don't even go out to battle. It's better not to have you there than to have you there with fear and worry. Gotta lay it down. Gotta lay it down. I lavish. This is the promise. The promise for your family. The promise for your heart's desire. I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. A thousand generations. You know, you're mostly, it's your family, the people you love. He's got love. He's got love. He's got blessing. It's his promise. It's his promise. So I'm going to ask you guys to bow your heads, please. Um, those of you who are new, my mom and I go around and pray over people. If you don't want to be prayed for, you can hop up and step out. But I want, if you have, um, identified yourself, just go ahead and bow your heads, close your eyes. If you've identified yourself as a control freak, if you've identified yourself as a passive, if you've identified yourself in fear, if you, if there's stuff you need to deal with, let go of, maybe stand up to, if there's things you need to surrender, I want you to just pray, picture it in your mind, and then surrender. When you surrender it, raise your hand. If you've got stuff, you've got to surrender it. Raise your hand. And I'm going to come around. My mom's going to come around. We're going to pray over you one at a time. Sometimes we, sometimes 
We just prayed silently, but if you want us to pray something specific, please let us know. And um, I just pray that today is a day that can be a turning point, like my cross moment. Put it down, it's worth it. It gives it back so much better, it's the truth. 